Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. It's Matthew with you here. And on this episode, going to have a chat with a lovely chap called George. We're going to do the old uh, traditional return to the hobby story. And uh, George runs his own podcast too. So we're going to talk a bit about that and how it's a storytelling podcast as well. So how we maybe pull elements of uh, storytelling and world building from the, the story worlds that we might often play in and the miniature tabletop hobby. Before we dive into that though, I've got a couple of things that I wanted to talk about uh, in my own hobby and I also just want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this episode, Midland Miniatures. I've spoke a lot about Midland Miniatures on the podcast before. I've actually just finished painting up my junior townsfolk warband so I'm really looking forward to, to getting them on the table at some point. I initially picked those up for an up and coming Game of Rangers of Shadow Deep. We're going to be playing through the Blood Moon supplement so uh, yeah, decided to get more of those junior townsfolk as well and uh, I've now got pictures of them up at bedroombattlefields.com and I noticed too on the Midland Miniatures website they actually seem to be kickstarting another um, batch of these junior townsfolk so you'll find that at uh, midlandminiatures.co.uk and it looks like we're going to see even more miniatures added to that range in future uh, which is brilliant to see so yeah, just on that Midland Miniatures website just now, uh, a massive catalogue, loads of different stuff. I've spoke about it before, you know, if you're into the, the miniature agnostic games that we talk about a lot on this show, uh, Midland's a great place to go and pick up pretty much anything you need for your, your warband or your RPG game or whatever. Uh, great range of sort of townsfolk and villagers, human adventurers, we've got cultists, halflings, orcs and goblins, uh, we've got gnomes, beastmen, undead, evildoers, creatures of the cavern. They've even got a siege and scenery range as well and a lot of deals on the website too. So a big thanks to Midland Miniatures for sponsoring this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast and uh, long may they continue to thrive and put out great miniatures that inevitably end up on my painting table. Uh, remember, check out bedroombattlefields.com for pictures of those junior townsfolk that I managed to, to get finished recently as well. Elsewhere, I uh, I was looking through some of the miniatures, uh, the existing miniatures that I'd either painted just after my return to the hobby or some of the stuff that I managed to salvage from my childhood. So when I returned to the hobby, uh, I bought a lot of miniatures uh, that I thought looked really good and, you know, was excited to dive in to paint them, but really didn't do a very good job at it because, you know, I hadn't painted for 20 odd years and even then I wasn't a very good painter 20 odd years ago anyway. So it's always been a bit sad seeing them. Uh, they're not even like in the cabinet where I've got my, my recently painted stuff and I was kind of looking at them the other day thinking like I, I could really use these guys but I'm, I'm not happy with the, the way that they look and I tried to strip the paint off them. I got some methylated uh, spirits and I steeped them in that I think overnight and I tried Dettol as well. I had a toothbrush, um, went up to the, the hardware store and got a grout brush as well which is a, a really good brush, you know, good handle on it and very uh, rigid bristles. So I was scrubbing away and scrubbing away with these miniatures. I just could not get most of the paint off them. Um, even the stuff that was painted back in the 90s. And I took to Discord, as you do. Uh, it wasn't our own Discord. It was the... I need to give a shout out to the, the Crown of Command Discord. There's a lot of people in there. Um, and I figured, you know, y you maybe have more chance of getting a wider variety of advice uh, in an established Discord like that. So uh, I need to thank the folks in there that, that sort of gave me a few tips and pointers. What I ended up doing based on the advice I got there... I picked up this pot of, it's called Biostrip 20, you're maybe familiar with it already, but this to me was, was revolutionary. So um, it's got the consistency of like thick Greek yogurt. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't start eating the stuff or I wouldn't be around very long, but um, I got a big pot of this. It's like under 20 quid for uh, about a litre. And yeah, I, I put some of that in a jar and uh, took a handful of miniatures that I was trying to get the paints off and just uh, just stuck them in there, left them overnight, came back to them the following day, took a while to wash all the gunk off, like I say, it's, it's very viscous, um, and uh, but obviously does the job very well because once I got those brushes out and started scrubbing away at them, the, the paint came off very, very easily. Um, it was pretty remarkable and I was really, really happy uh, to see those miniatures like 
you know, looking like they, they, they did back in the day when they came out the blister pack. Like I've got old Snotland miniatures, I've got a goblin uh, on a squig, I've got a couple of night goblin fanatics, and then I've got um, some stuff as well that, like I say, I painted up when I returned to the hobby and just didn't do a good job at all. And there's uh, a lot of ideas I've got for what I'm going to do with them. Uh, in relation to like future games of Frostgrave, Rangers of Shadow Deep, Song of Blades and Heroes, and all that stuff. But I'm now at the stage like uh, there's more painted up stuff tucked away, and I'm starting to think you know I need to get them stripped, and I could do this. And you know there's a few like Nurgle esque miniatures, and I'm starting to toy with this idea of doing this kind of Nurgley war band. And I need to remember that I've actually got like projects on the go just now, and I need to not get my head turned too much. Kind of like a weird pseudo splurge of buying loads of new stuff but instead it was just existing stuff that I've stripped and suddenly got really excited about again so that'll keep me busy for the foreseeable future with the old painting now that I know that I could easily get the paint stripped off them. I was thinking like in future because it's, it's quite hard stuff to work with like especially getting out the original pot pouring it into a jar and stuff like that I was, I was actually thinking of getting you know the wee mini um, like chip basket things they look like little chip fryers if you were to put your um, miniatures in those you could dip them straight into the, the, the pot and uh, leave them overnight and then you could take them out maybe prop it up over the pot and let the a lot of the material drip off back into the pot I know you'd be polluting the stuff that's there but I think it's strong enough that that wouldn't affect it in any way and it's not like I'm going to be stripping miniatures forever anyway I, I would hope uh, just caught in a perpetual loop of like painting and repainting stuff forever and never buying anything new and never really getting anywhere I dare say people have got into that situation before but uh, the stuff I've painted like last year year and a half two years I'm happy enough with and I don't see me certainly don't see me diving in and starting to, to strip them. So, um, yeah, interested to see how I got on with those, uh, I say new miniatures, they're not new miniatures, old new miniatures, um, especially looking forward to, to getting to those Goblin Fanatics and that Squig Hopper as well. One other thing I wanted to talk about before we dive into the chat with George is 2D neoprene terrain. So I keep mentioning the Blood Moon Rangers of Shadow Deep supplement. I was looking through that and one of the things that it was asking you to, to put on the table was a pond. And I don't have any like water feature terrain. So I did a bit of digging around the old internet and uh, yeah, neoprene terrain was coming up a few times and that's like what my battle mats are made of. So basically like mouse mat material as you probably know already. And neoprene, like 2D neoprene terrain, so it's completely flat. So makes perfect sense for things like water features and roads. But it, it turns out, you know, you could you could have any sort of terrain in 2D form. Like this set that I'm going to talk about from gamemat.eu that I got in to take a look at. It had not only the pond that I needed and a couple of other things that make perfect sense in 2D. Uh, there was like um, mist clouds and stuff like that. But also actually contained things like hills, rocky outcrops, bunkers. Uh, buildings and woodlands and it was the woodlands that really caught my attention because a couple of years ago like I bought myself a bunch of trees for wargaming and skirmish gaming and uh, I just I got really annoyed with them they looked great but I just knocked them over all the time I found them really difficult to navigate around certainly to to place any miniatures into them you know for a bit of cover they all just like it was like you went in there with a chainsaw and all the, the trees just were falling over everywhere and I ended up like just not using trees anymore because it was just so annoying and um, I quite missed the you know the thought of getting miniatures into cover woodland cover and you know a lot of the scenarios that I've played in various books and games over the last few months have, have wanted trees on the table and it's just not terrain that I have anymore so I thought to myself like the 2D neoprene woodlands it obviously doesn't look anything like proper quote-unquote proper trees on the table certainly not as realistic but I think there's a lot of pros to that as well like if you've got a 2D woodland on there you could uh, stick miniatures in it for cover and um, you know you're not going to knock any trees over so it's not really going to get in the way what you could even do you know for the best of both worlds you could have your proper tree terrain if you like and then when you move miniatures in there you could replace that on the table with the neoprene version 
things like this I think would come in really handy especially for your you know your games like Warhammer Fantasy Battles or Kings of War where you want to put a, a full regiment you know even a multi-based regiment you want to put them in a bit of cover in a woodland you could just stick it right on like the little mouse mat rather than trying to wedge them in between your wee miniature trees I suppose one other uh, very realistic alternative would be to stick some uh, bonsai trees on the table so if you've ever tried anything like that please do give me a shout I'd love to see the pictures of it but yeah, this, um, this 2D terrain set, like I say, it's from GameMat.eu and uh, that's a company I've bought from a lot in the past. I've got uh, castles, houses, really quality, high quality, like resin terrain. So I had no qualms about um, going to them again to, to pick up some more of their stuff. And this set is called, uh, it's called Meadows 2D Terrain Set. So you also get versions of it that are like arctic, snowy type terrain or like sands type sort of deserty terrain as well. So you don't necessarily have to go for the greenery and the woodlands and all that jazz if you're dived into the world of uh, 2D terrain. And I just listed some pros and cons. If you go over to bedroombattlefields.com you'll be able to find my review of this terrain and, and pictures of it as well so you could actually see it in action. And what I've wrote about the cons of 2D neoprene terrain, I've said that it's obviously not as realistic as 3D terrain for starters. I've said that I'm not convinced that it works so well for buildings. Uh, for example, like are the miniatures on them or in them when you've sat them on that little mat that represents the building. But again, just like the woodland, you could have your 3D houses and buildings and that on the table. And then maybe if a miniature goes into one, you could then replace it with this uh, flat neoprene version. Uh, the final con that I've put down there, it could make line of sight and cover related stuff less dynamic. So, you know, maybe it takes the fun out of like, is he, isn't he in cover? Um, and you maybe have to have just a blanket rule of, okay, they're behind us, you can't see them. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe that takes a bit of the fun out of it. Or maybe you hate all that stuff and you think that that is actually a big positive of this type of terrain. So I've also talked about the pros of 2D neoprene terrain. Uh, I've said that it creates an instant battlefield that's quick to set up and tidy away. It requires almost no storage space. It's highly cost effective. It's perfect for rivers, ponds and roads. You get all the enjoyment of woodlands, or at least most of the enjoyment of woodlands, without knocking the trees over. And you could actually deploy a full multi-based regiment in those woods too. So as ever, I will add links to everything that I've mentioned here and mentioned in the upcoming conversation. I'll put them in the show notes. You could find those at bedroombattlefields.com or just tap uh, your podcast app and you'll find them in there too. Right then, it's time for our conversation with George and I kicked things off by just asking him about his early childhood memories, you know, those first forays into the tabletop miniature hobby. So I started in, in the classic way, really, getting sort of little plastic fellas from the corner shop and built up actually a pretty pretty big army of largely Americans via that. But then when I was seven, my dad and I went to Bryson and walked past this games workshop shop store, and I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't really believe what I was looking at. So I dragged him in and walked out with a plastic box set of Imperial Guard with the amazing John Blanche out artwork on the front. And it, it just... It, the whole shopping experience there had blown my mind. It's, it was quite scary because the staff were playing bolt thrower on the tape deck at full volume and they all had long hair and looked like they were really old. But anyway, I was just hooked at that point. And then more and more friends got into collecting games workshop and we started playing 40K, second edition, I think, um, which I actually found once we started playing the proper rules became a slightly dispiriting experience because I collected Imperial Guard who you need them in vast numbers for them to really be effective. And my friends all collected Space Marines who of course would just sort of wipe me out really quickly. So at, um, at around that time, this is probably when I was about 10, 11, one of my friends from primary school and I started taking over rooms in our household homes. And we would have these huge battles where we'd just basically use any soldier or any toy we could get our hands on. So we'd have G.I. Joes fighting Warhammer figures, fighting the green guys from the corner shop with muscle men and all sorts. And we'd have these big, what we called civil wars, where it was just everyone against everyone. And it was 
it was just a total joy. It was so imaginative and so creative and it wasn't competitive at all because it was a civil war. Um, so at that point I sort of drifted a bit from games workshop and carried on doing those battles with my friend. And, um, there were other friends who I did historical war games. So I carried on with those a bit and then classically sort of hit 14, 15 and did other things. So it was when I bumped into a friend in 2019, who was a friend from my games workshop days and he had got really really back into the hobby to the extent that he was actually a coach for the united states age of sigmar team who sort of tours around the world with their competitive team coaching them and he pointed me in the direction of the old hammer um facebook group and i just got sucked straight back in so during lockdown, I had time to retrieve some of my miniatures from my very patient mum and dad's loft and started painting them up with my old paints, most of which had survived. And here I am speaking with you. It's great. What uh, what did you pull out of the attic then? What were, Was there any wee surprises, anything you'd forgotten about? Yeah, definitely. Um, for a start, the paints. Um, so I got my whole paint collection out and the enormous majority of particularly the earlier paints, so the ones in the cylinder pots and then some of the ones in the hexagonal pots had survived. Um, and it's a, a great collection. They're such good colours and still in great condition. The ones with the screw tops that were a bit more recent had dried out, but it was still great to have those ones. But then miniature-wise, I, I got my dwarf army out and was so excited to see them again. Uh, Bugman's Brewers and the Imperial Dwarf Regiment box sets were all there. So I've really enjoyed sort of teaching myself how to paint beards and things that's been great but i also found i found more order miniature skeletons and chaos dwarves and all sorts of armies where i just bought a single blister pack or my mum had got me a blister pack for christmas of some mummies or some zombies and it's just it was so much fun to paint them liberated from the feeling that i had to prepare this huge imperial guard army that was then just going to get gunned down by space marines at the weekend i could just go and paint a couple of skeletons and i painted some orc archers and um a space marine uh veteran captain from 1990 i think the bald guy who's sort of side view on with his fist up in the air painted him as a crimson fist and it was just a joy to have that meditative experience of really getting absorbed in painting again really i've just loved it did you find it kind of intimidating sitting down for the first time after all those years and, and uh, putting paint on again like did you did you kind of struggle with it or was it like water off a duck's back? <laughs> no, I, de I really struggled with it. It's a really good question because I basically I, I wasn't much copper painting when I was younger. I, I was sort of okay at um, colour schemes, but I didn't really know anything about thinning paints. Um, so I sort of picked up where I'd left off and I dipped my brush straight into the pot, painted these two monopose plastic dwarves, and they just looked absolutely shocking. And I had no idea. I just didn't know what I'd done wrong. Um, but that's when YouTube came to the rescue, because, um, you, you know, you probably experienced this when we used to get those uh, little painting guides, and they have sort of three steps of base colour, a little bit of shading, and then this beautiful finished miniature. And it's quite difficult to know all the in-between bits. But by watching YouTube videos, I realized how you could actually, you know, make a little wet palace at home and thin your paints properly and build up the layers. And it completely transformed painting for me because suddenly it became a much slower process, but I just got totally absorbed in it. Um, and that's part of what I really, really enjoy. Um, and I've got some other friends who've rediscovered discovered painting as well. A friend of mine who's in the US Army rediscovered it recently. And he was telling me about the therapeutic effects that it's had for him. He he was actually at art school at Central St. Martins in London before he joined up. And he was just a brilliant artist. And then he joined the army, completely lost any touch with his creative side. And he said it was rediscovering painting Chaos Space Marines that has made him want to go back to art school when he leaves the army. Um, now, my, my example is not as extreme as his, but I have just found it clears my head. It's It's a joyous thing to do. Hi, there's very little room for life's ruminations when you're like trying to paint an eyeball, you know. Yeah. Uh, demands <laughs> exactly. all your attention. Although that is still torturing me, painting eyeballs. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was your laughing painting is excellent though. I've been admiring it. I, I, I maybe just take a good photo. <laughs> 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 a um, skill in itself. 
Yeah, I was laughing there at the thought as well. I've, I think I've said this before, but you know, like you're saying, those old um, three step guides, and it's like white undercoat, three coats, win the golden <laughs> demon. Like that's the three steps. Yeah. And you're like, right. I, I mean, if you could maybe d- dive into the, the bit between the. Yeah, uh, exactly. So are, are you yeah. are you still using what you would call traditional paints? Have you dabbled with the contrasts or anything? So I've thought about this and I, I've made the, the conscious decision to stick with traditional paints, largely because for me, it's almost as much about the process as it, as it is about the results. So my, my miniatures now, nah, they look okay, but I'm not really aspiring to be a, a championship painter. It's as much as anything, it's about the fact I've picked up this process that I did so many years ago. And now painting again has in some way revived that enthusiasm and excitement I used to feel about the hobby. And the the slow nature of the painting and the, the skills required is quite similar. So I, I tracked down Coat d'Arms paints and Nostalgia 88 and I've been able to plug some of the gaps in my paint collection with those. Um, and so it's still quite an old school approach. It's still largely about mixing colors and washing them down. And I, I can definitely totally understand why people use contrast paints because um, it allows you to put together an army that can look absolutely fantastic without all the headache of having to thin and shade and dry brush to the same degree that you have to with the old ones. But I just really enjoy the process. So for now, I'm going to stick with these. Maybe I'll change at some point, but I'm really enjoying where I'm at at the moment. Did you get a lot of games actually, you know, playing games when you were younger? So it was almost entirely 40k um, and we played a lot for a period of about three years. Um, But as I said, I never really found it to be that fulfilling, largely because my, my friends did to a man collect space marines like no one collected anything interesting um so they just all went out and bought squads of devastators and terminators and uh, i worked really hard to try and build up my imperial guard army which became harder when they very suddenly stopped selling any and um it was just a bit dispiriting really because they I, they just wiped me out every time and this was before they'd released all the tanks and stuff for the imperial guard so um i sort of drifted away from it um rules wise otherwise i actually had quite a few box set games which i just never really my friends never really got into them so i didn't either but i had epic space marine which has got i think it was second edition it's got one of the most wonderful rule books just in terms of illustrations and narrative um and mighty empires which was a sort of campaign game for warhammer fantasy battle and that is a brilliant game. You can build your own, your own map and you've got cities and fortresses and dragons and armies and navies. And it was a way of sort of, you could play it as a board game on its own or you could play it as a way of campaigning your Warhammer fantasy battle battles. But I just didn't really have any mates who played it. So sadly, it's I've still got it, but it's been unplayed. So maybe one day I'll meet up with some people who are interested in cracking them open and playing them. I do hope so. Have you got any... Um games in since you got back into it no i've not i think you you had a really interesting episode um a few back where you were talking with dan i think from the uh, paints all the minis podcast about like how you meet people and how you game and things and my last experience of playing with people who weren't really close mates they just weren't very positive um i'd play with friends of friends and even blood bowl was fiercely competitive and there was no sense of character or narrative. It was just about brutal winning. And I think my last alliance with Games Workshop before I went into hiatus was my best friend had moved to America and we went to the, the Games Day there in Baltimore in 1999. And I played an exhibition match and the people I played against were just so t- sort of totally ruthless in their desire to win that it didn't really feel like we were playing 40k. It felt like we were just playing a sort of hyper-aggressive board game of some description. So I guess that just put me off a bit. Um, But I thought your episode was really interesting about different approaches you can make to to playing. And um, maybe some of my friends who I used to game with would be up for playing again. Now, a a lot of them have got back into painting, so maybe that's the next step for us. Yeah, if you're not a male bombed local... Uh, streets yet you know leaflets yeah. through the doors <laughs> exactly i love that 
<laughs> Maybe it'll work. <laughs> yeah, I. Well, you, yeah. So you had another guest, didn't you? And you spoke about sort of cheekily spray painting models out front, see if your neighbours would overhear and, and invite yes, you in. It's, it's like putting the putting the what was Lino in the Thundercats when he used to, or Batman, you know, when he puts the emblem in the sky. Yeah, it's the kind exactly. of uh, nerd alternative to doing that. Just get out there with a the spray can. That's that's always, brilliant. I always, um, always paranoid somebody walks past and he's like, he's been Warhammer, and he, he's <laughs> want to kick my head in or something. Go stamp on your miniatures and run away. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, uh, have, have you have you tried to collect any different armies these days then? Have you bought any new miniatures? So, yeah, I've, uh, I mean, it's not collecting a new army, but I got really into Space Dwarves when I was younger. But curiously, I just haven't been able to track down many of the miniatures. They might be in my mum and dad's loft somewhere, but I could only found a handful. And then I sort of slipped into, someone sent me a Kickstarter, one of my old friends who's rediscovered the hobby. And I thought, wow, people are actually making squats. And from there, I fell into the Macrocosm Miniatures website. And they do some absolutely brilliant things, including World War One squats. And that for me is like a dream meeting of sort of military periods. Um, because I was always really sort of obsessed by the First World War and the uniforms and the weaponry. And then to combine that with the squats so I loved, I just couldn't resist. So I've got quite a few Macrocosm miniatures now, a great tank from them as well. And also, um, I discovered this wonderful company called Ramshackle Games, which is uh, run by a really, really nice guy whose name has just escaped me. But he's really, really engaging. So I've just emailed him about a few bits saying, well, you know, I'd love to you know, reimagine some First World War artillery in a space dwarf context. And he's just sorted me out. He's been brilliant. Um, so I have, I have bought some bits, but I'm trying very hard to just focus on painting what I've got because um, I think Joe was saying on a previous episode with you there is just so much out there you can almost spend all your time thinking about what you're going to buy as opposed to enjoying what you've already got so I've tried to make that my focus but I have treated myself to a few new bits. Uh, it's a balancing act isn't it like you, you, you can't really get caught up in that just always more but at the same time, now and then, you've got hole. to just treat yourself. <laughs> you have. Well, you've now um, sucked me into the black hole of Midland miniatures, so thank you for that. But um, <laughs> I've dangerously been spending a lot of time on their website, so let's see how that goes. Yeah, I great range. Great uh, so good. There. I, I really like them. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm painting up um, some of their stuff now, the, the, the wee kids that they've got, like the oh, brilliant. Um, junior townsfolk, because I need a couple of kiddos for um, my next game of Rangers of Shadow Deep. There's oh, got to be, I've got to find a, a wee boy and a wee girl to fight a werewolf. So I, 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 oh, I, can't, see, I can't see the kids getting out of that one. But you know, <laughs> um, maybe they'll maybe they'll stranger things it or that. So you never know. They might know, learn a few tough life lessons. How are you painting them up? Um, just my usual, my, my standard, like um, the um, black prime and then uh, the, the zenithal with one of the contrast undercoats, and then Brilliant. I just. Uh, just a bit of contrast. I use the contrast paints because it's um, just makes it easy for me and, yeah, uh, and they reasonable look, they results. Look, they look great. Like I say, the photos are really impressive. Ah, that's nice to hear. Thank you. Hmm. Um, have you played any of the the, the Joe McCulloch range, like Rangers of Shadow Deep, Frostgrave, Stargrave? I've not. No, but hearing him speak really did make me feel like I should at least read the the. The rule books because he's i mean he's an incredibly wise speaker and just so many of the things he says i thought god that's a really good point but also just the way he talks about games i really liked his his sense of narrative and his sense of world building and his sense of characters um that uh for me was that was essentially why i enjoy games of any sort really um so I, I'm, I really must. I'd love to. Um, there's so much on my reading list. I don't know how I'll find the time. But it, also hearing you talk about your experiences of reading them, it's it's exactly why I used to like rule books or why I still like rule books. Is it, 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 the, the rules are great, but what I always really connected with was the description of worlds and the narratives they built and the characters within those. And then also um, the artwork. Um, so I, I must check them out because that would be, yeah, like I say, he was great. Our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favourite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. 
The point is, you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now, back to the show. As a storyteller, do you... um do you think about narrative and that you know and because obviously there's the there's the old warhammer world and all that pre-created lore which is great you know we all love playing in that sandbox but how much do you think about you know creating original story worlds and using miniatures that way yeah a, a lot and that was um when i was talking earlier about how my friend and i used to have these these battles where we'd used we we just didn't think at all about historical periods or scale or anything um it was all about we'd create these sort of slightly mad worlds where these armies would come together and um we'd create scenery out of absolutely nothing which goes back to you and joe's discussions about using blocks to create scenery it was just pure imagination but within our heads it it sort of developed into this incredible kind of filmic landscape um a sort of middle earth of the imagination and um that was part of what made it such a joy. And then we'd sort of allow the narrative to drive itself because we created the world and we created the characters. And in terms of with my with my writing, that's kind of what I've done there as well, is that I've um, created characters and created a world. And when I sit down to write a story, they sort of drive it forward themselves. Um, I might have a sort of loose idea of what I want to happen or I want it to lead, but largely, I start writing and they kind of go on an adventure and then there's a story created. Um, and when when my friend who I mentioned earlier, who moved to America, we started going to a summer camp, where, which was about sort of improvised theatre. It was, it was essentially live action role play, but with a real focus on character building and world building. And I just found that so inspiring. And I think that sense of improvisation has stuck with me um and what i do now how long have you been writing i mean i know you, you did your creative writing course but you've been writing a lot longer than that so i um i've sort of written on and off for many many years but have always had a sense i'd really love to sit down and write but for whatever reason there's always been other stuff going on there's always been something so i'd never really focused on something for long enough to really kind of create either a novel or even a, a short story of any substance and then i went to this this course with my mum uh, which is all about creative writing with a focus on fairy tales and this was in 2019 and it was as if all of the the inspiration from all of these years of warhammer and improvised theater and reading all of these rule books and everything it all piled together at the same time and within the course of this one day um, course, I'd emerged with the, this story series, The Tales of Hobgoblin Mulch. And I started writing whenever I could. Suddenly, I was really gripped by this desire to write, which was what I needed, I think, because I hadn't had that before. So other things had always taken priority, but suddenly all I wanted to do was write. And then lockdown happened. And suddenly, I was saving hours a day by not commuting. There was no socializing to be done. So I just sit down and write. And that was when I really had the opportunity to develop something. What made you turn uh, your stories into a podcast then? So I'd worked as a voiceover artist for some years and the work that I'd really enjoyed doing was character work. So when I was doing audio dramas um, or when I was doing commercial work, but as a character, as opposed to just a sort of sales voice. And I had lunch with a friend of mine who is a voiceover artist and he was talking about how he just had his commercial reel done and he said, what sort of thing are you interested in? And I said, well, characters. And he said, well, why don't you why don't you record something? And he gave me some kit which I was missing. And then when lockdown happened again, suddenly I had time to actually build little home studio and start recording them. So um, I was able to narrate the stories and do all of the character voices and that that helped me develop those characters sort of speaking them out loud um it was a real positive for the series as uh, as a written uh, concept as well as in creating a podcast what's the uh, what's the website um for your podcast just in case any listeners want to check it out so it's hobgobandmulch.com um and that's also available on uh, 
uh, Spotify, uh, Apple, um, Google Podcast, all the major, all the podcasting platforms. Um, but yeah, it's Hobgob and Mulch. Yeah, f fantasy. Um, I mean, I don't keep up audio fiction as much these days, but fantasy was always the genre in the medium that you saw the least of, at least anecdotally in my experience. Um, I do have a pal in Belgium, Domine, who's a really talented uh, writer and sound designer, who created a series called The Witch Hunter Chronicles. I'm going to try and dig that out and stick a link in the show notes because uh, I, I know that he was a big um, miniature wargamer. Um, he potentially still is, but certainly in his youth and Warhammer World sort of heavily inspired him to do that as well. So um, in your story world, uh, you're saying things are a bit lighter than um, maybe a bit less brutal. Is that is that true? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit less grimdark. Um, it's essentially at the time I was writing them, most of them were written in uh, lockdown. And part of my motivation was that I wanted to send them to my friends and particularly my friends with kids to try and cheer them up a bit. So essentially they're stories about people who work together and how friendship and loyalty always wins the day. But, you know, they're, the main characters, Hobgob and Mulch, are kidnapped um, by a dwarf called uh, Troll Belcher who tries to feed them to trolls. And uh, in one story, all of the friends get kidnapped by an evil duke and he's going to use them as the front line in a, a sort of apocalyptic battle. Um, there, there's there's plenty of darkness in there um it's just that there's usually a nice happy ending um so we, i'm going to going to see if that continues but at the moment that's sort of the direction that they're going in is hobgob a hobgoblin so he's a goblin um i just actually really liked the, the name hobgob <laughs> so he so he got hobgob um i thought long and hard about his name there were a couple of other candidates um and then just thought it had a really nice ring to it. So he's he's called Hobgob. But uh, one of the twists is that he only has one leg. So it sort of worked, Hobgob, he, you know, he hobbled. Um, and then mulch, of course, uh, is a reference to what you, what you can do with trees and bark when you put them on your, on your garden. But essentially, I just thought the two names sounded really nice. I like the sound of them, so I went with it. Yeah, if uh, you get a bit of an audience going, you could um, end up getting a miniature range made. That'd be a nice oh, wee that would be my side dream. project. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. What uh, what are you working on like right now then in terms of like painting and gaming and stuff? Are you working towards like maybe trying to get a game of some man or build an army at the moment? Or yeah, well, I I got slightly sucked into the um old world army challenge blog, um where various largely old hammer gamers um challenge themselves to create an army over six months i think and every month they have a challenge so they have to do a sort of rank and file a special character they can do a vehicle if they're doing 40k um or a sort of siege engine if they're doing fantasy battle and there are just some staggering projects on that site people who've put so much thought and imagination and creativity into their armies there's one where they've created um an empire army, but it's an empire army where the commanders sort of started dabbling in the dark arts of necromancy. And the, the the character of every single miniature is just staggering and so inspiring. So anyway, I looked at all that and suddenly thought, you know what, I, I want to get a space dwarf army. So um, like I was saying earlier, I've got uh, got in touch with the wonderful people at Ramshackle Games and Macrocosm Miniatures to plug some of the gaps in my original collection. And I've also fortunately still got a few survivors from those days. So I've been painting those up and it's just been wonderful. Um, coming up with the colour schemes, I've gone bright, I've gone lots of big reds um, and I'm really, really, really enjoying planning it. So we'll, we'll have to see where it goes. I'd love it if I could meet someone who wanted to crack open Rogue Trader or Second Edition 40k and play it in that spirit, which I, which I think was what a lot of people um, miss about the Rogue Trader days. I think it's where you know the spirit of bring out your lead as an event has come from is just playing in order to play out an exciting adventure, an exciting narrative, as opposed to playing it entirely with the focus of winning at all costs if i could meet someone who was up for that i'd really like to get my dwarves out and play against them did you collect a uh, white dwarf back in the day when you were young yeah i certainly did uh, uh, probably over the course of about six or seven years i had every issue um and i'd also found 
some of the really i think the earliest edition i've got is uh number 50 which is from 1984 or something um and i think ian livingston was still editing us at that point and and at that at that stage of course it wasn't just a games workshop magazine it was a kind of general hobby magazine um so yeah i had quite a collection i i've it's a, a moment of ruthlessness i did uh, give a few of them away but i still got quite a lot of them yes i've got a pile of them still uh, and i was i was reading oh, through them amazing. a few months ago so it's it's always a good laugh um it's just it, great I mean, great nostalgia but always a couple of wee like nuggets that are quite humorous like i, I do remember one wee segment at the start of one of the magazines that was like we're we're going to get into the internet and um, there's a thing called the internet we're going to get on it um and it, it was this url genuinely it was about six pages long this thing http like, <laughs> slash colon colon uh, and this huge like um like to get us get us on the internet website so, um did you have the patience to try it did you type it all in see what probably been <laughs> probably been hijacked by some weird like russian site or something like that <laughs> you probably have uh, maybe best not explored <laughs> but then it's a question of where would i lose the most money on the gw site or some russian hacker <laughs> but then at the same time i'm not really interested in buying their stuff these days how uh, <laughs> How much do you keep up with them these days? Because obviously, like the Horus game just came out, and that captured even some of the the, the older folk's uh, attention. And then obviously, we've got this old world thing. Whenever the hell that's going to happen? But yeah, well, some of my some of my friends who've rediscovered the hobby are, are really into it. So I mentioned earlier about a friend who is is like a coach for the Age of Sigmar team. He's really into all of the new games, and. Uh, my friend who's in the US military collects 40k now. He buys miniatures as soon as they're released. Um, and so through them, I've I've taken an interest. And I mean, personally, I actually think, I think the stuff they're doing is pretty spectacular and pretty amazing. Um, in a in a weird way, I look at some of it and I think it's almost it's almost sort of more old hammer than old hammer, but it's just kind of done in a different way. It's quite difficult to describe. But some of the space marines sort of they look like Roman legionnaires or or sort of Greek warriors in in a way that I sort of almost felt that old hammer was suggesting they'd look. Um, I, I've not I've not got back into actually going to the shops and buying stuff. I just think I've got to draw the line somewhere. But um, I'm very happy to admire from a distance and uh, people seem to really enjoy it. So, you know, good for them. Um, I know there's a lot of anti-games workshop feeling, but I'll always have an enormous sense of gratitude to them for creating this incredible world that I've found so inspiring and have gained so much joy from. Um, so, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. What about you? Yeah, I've, um, I've, I've seen bits and pieces here and there and, you know, obviously, like a couple of years ago, when the old world thing came out, I did. Um, I was was pretty surprised and and interested, but um, I I wouldn't say I keep up with it now. Um, so nice. I don't know. I mean, I'll obviously, if and when it comes out, I'll, I'll at least look at what it is and I'll listen to some commentary on yeah. it. But um, I'm pretty happy in my own wee space uh, with the the sort of games that I've got now and. Um, yeah, I just I don't know. I don't I don't see me diving back in, but never say never. And I'm the same. You know, I'm the same. I know there's a lot that you could criticize them for, but at the same time, um most of us, if not all of us, wouldn't wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for them. So um Yeah, exactly. I'm hesitant to, to slag them off too much. I certainly have not been in one of the shops for a long time. Um I think that I I'd been going in and buying paints now and then, but then I found a yeah. another wee hobby shop that was doing them a bit cheaper so i've been going there instead and that's fair enough also i used to i mean when i was much younger and used to go um i used to actually be slightly sort of terrified of the staff because they were they were sort of so good at making you want to buy everything you'd end up sort of buying everything and then um realize you'd sort of blown all your pocket money but um maybe there's a slight part of me that's terrified that i'd go in and that would happen again and i just uh, sort of have to remortgage the house or something awful like that so it's probably best that i stay away yeah i remember being embarrassed that my like my mum and dad thought that the folk were weird so i was <laughs> being embarrassed because i was like look i know the guys in here are weird i'm not like i'm not weird like them um, i'm not one of them <laughs> yeah 
Um, yeah, super enthusiastic guys uh, doing all the the voices and stuff like that and very much so but equally I'd, I'd love to go up to nottingham and visit warhammer world i think it would be amazing it's it's sort of on my bucket list to do at some point um, we're going we're going oh, uh, to, well, but i mean i'm only getting to go by default because we're going to um center parks uh, and Brilliant. nottingham so i was like maybe maybe i could go to warhammer world and she said, aye, that's that's fine. And I was like, Bugman's Brewery, look at this. Um, it's a good wee pub. And so we're getting to go for our dinner and, that, and I'll, I'll get a wee wonder. Because I think it's like a museum in that, isn't it? Like you could it walk sounds like and, it, yeah. And they've, I think but, they've got loads of old stuff um, as well as the new. So plenty to enjoy. Um, and it sounds like a perfect date. Well done. I know, I, I am looking forward <laughs> to um, doing that in October, I think it is. So... Not looking oh, forward to it being October, but <laughs> that will that will be a an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. So I I mean it, when you think about Nottingham, I think there are a lot of companies based in the area too, aren't there? Maybe I could just have a week there, just turn around different just, shops, just and go businesses. on tour. Yeah, well, Ramshackle Games, who I mentioned earlier, are based there, and um, I think War Games Foundry are really close by, um, and there's loads. It seems like the sort of Games Workshop. HQ has produced all of these kind of satellite companies from various graduates who have gone on to start up their own their own businesses. Um, so Nottingham seems like a, a really exciting place in terms of a sort of miniature collecting and gaming hub. Aye, it's like the mecca. Exactly, go, go on your pilgrimage. Yeah. <laughs> um, what What's next for you, George? Do you do you do you make big plans about what you're going to? collect and paint and that or are you just more happy to just take it in your stride and work through what you've got yeah i mean like we were saying there's the there's the space dwarf um uh painting and potentially collecting which is which is really exciting i've been loving thinking about it all and um what the ethos of the army will be and how i can have special characters and yet not spend all my time just painting special characters so i've really enjoyed that but at the same time um having painted up the first sort of the 10 or so miniatures for that army, I really enjoyed taking a complete break and I painted up um, a chaos dwarf and it was a Marauder miniature from 1987, I think. And I just loved working with these sort of crazy palettes. And I was really trying to develop shading, um, working with metallic paints. And it was just a total joy doing something completely different. So I think what I want to do is to keep myself really motivated by not necessarily getting too bogged down in any one project and feeling like it becomes a bit of a chore. Um, so if that means just taking a break and painting something completely different, that's what I'd love to do. Um, equally, I should add, I have very little time for painting. So when I do, it's very precious. Um, there's this sort of a grabbed evening here and there, and I'm, I'm really slow. Um, so I've, I've got all of these plans in my head of sort of reviving my Imperial Guard army and painting up all my Mark VI plastic space marines from the Rogue Trade days um, and getting some of my tanks down and maybe putting those in the death hole and trying to paint them again because I think they're just caked in thick layers of paint at the moment. So I'd love to be able to do all of that, but I'm, I'm sort of sensible enough to realise that my painting time is quite limited, so I want to make the most of it. But something I discovered recently was the, the power of zoom for social painting um so my friend in america um we set up on zoom and um had a really nice painting session together one evening for me one late afternoon for him and that was an absolute joy just had a few drinks yeah. had a catch up and painted it was awesome so i think there'll definitely be more of that as well i know it's great that if you're able to do that i think it, it really does help and if you can't do that there's there's podcast you listen to any other podcasts apart for this tin pot outfit? Well, um, yeah, I really, I really enjoy uh, painting all the minis. I think that's brilliant. And and then I actually, when I was painting at one point, was thinking about what what best to listen to. Should I? I tried listening to Bolt Thrower to really put me into the old hammer frame of mind, and it just sort of almost gave me an aneurysm. So I had to turn that <laughs> off. And I discovered the the official Games Workshop podcast, uh, which had John Blanche drawing and they 
they kept saying on the podcast, we're filming this and we'd really recommend that you watch it on YouTube because then you can see John Blanche's pictures and otherwise it's a bit pointless. But actually, it was such a nice thing to listen to while I was painting because essentially mainly you could hear the scratching of his pencil. And then... ASMR. Exactly. It was a bit like ASMR. And then him sort of having a sort of hushed conversation with the presenter in between. And it almost felt like John Blanche was sort of quietly sitting next to me drawing as I painted. It was really, really nice. And they they did two episodes of it. So it was a good two hours of him. I think he was drawing a witch in one episode and a sort of a character from 40K in the other. But it was just so nice to listen to. I really, really enjoyed it. Aye, there's a, a lot of good content out there as well. And, um, you know, I listened to it like you had, Painted the Winnies was the one that I um, kind of found first. Um, Brilliant. And then I like the, the War Games Orchard as well and uh, Josh's Crown of Command. Um, those those are kind of the three shows that are mainly on my rotation. I've dabbled with other ones, but um, those are my kind of go-to ones, if you like. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I just made a note of uh, War Games Orchard. I'll have to give that a listen. Aye, really good. Um, Nathan, he's been on the, the show a couple of times and he's got a encyclopedic knowledge of um, Warhammer and stuff like that. So uh, even though I don't, you know, it's not a game I've ever played properly, but I do find it kind of fascinating listening to, I, I think I could listen to anyone talk with enthusiasm and knowledge about any game, even if I had no intention of playing it. Um, yeah. I just kind of find that very interesting hearing all the, the nuances and stuff like that. So. I think you're right. When you can hear someone who's really, really passionate about something like that, it's um, it's you can sort of feed off that enthusiasm and feel it yourself, can't you? And you don't necessarily have to go away and play the game, mm-hmm. but just hearing how much they enjoy it is really, really lovely. So just uh, coming to the end of our chat, George, I've really enjoyed it. So um, of you. course, the listener will, will want to check out your, your podcast, um, and I'm just finding the notes there hobgobandmulch.com so get some uh, some um, old world style audio fiction goodness there won't we yeah thank you very much it would be it would be lovely for people to listen to it and please uh, please do get in touch to let me know what you think Um, there's also a twitter account and an instagram account so it's uh, i think as, as you know as a podcaster it's really nice to hear from people even if it's a bit of feedback where they say maybe that you could change this or that it's just really lovely to know that people are listening and engaging so do do give me a shout it would be great to hear from anyone mm-hmm.